Uh, let me tell you something. It was kind of fun last night. <laughs> when I left, when I left after the teaching session, and I walked straight out, there were these two kids playing pickleball outdoors. You know what that court is? And they were playing pickleball, and I walked right out. This is ten minutes after I talked, and this one kid was about to serve. He looked at me and said, "Hey, man, great speeches." Then he turned around and he served the ball again. And I thought, if a six-year-old can tell me great speeches, then I, at least I touched him. I don't know about you adults, but he listened and he thought it was great. And I don't know whose kid that was. I wish I had to ask his name so I could find out who the wonderful parents are that have such an amazing son to recognize brilliance when he sees it and just explain. So, no, that's not really it at all. But that's what he said, which I thought, boy, that's something I'll never forget. Great speeches. So, I wish he'd told that to my kids when they were young and I tried to talk to them at times. They weren't listening to the speeches quite as much, perhaps, back during those days. Well, I hope you had a wonderful first day here at Gull Lake. I certainly did. It was great for me to be here. And I thought the thing last night was a lot of fun to see everybody dressed up in all the 50s attire. And we had, we had people here from Back to the Future you know, dressed up like that, and a lot of waitresses, and a lot of poodle skirts, and white t-shirts, and uh, the Fonzie look, and stuff. I didn't see anybody with cigarettes rolled up under their arm, which I'm glad about that. We don't probably want any smoking here on the grounds here at Gull Lake, but that was pretty cool. So I enjoyed being here last night. Okay, now this is an unusual room. This is a tougher room to teach in, obviously, than the, the other room, but we'll do the best we can. And so y'all just kind of pay attention, and I'll Talk to you for a little while about continuing our series on stewardship, a biblical perspective on how to use our God-given resources. Okay, I'll start out like this. Two things happen to everyone in this room twice a day for as long as you've been alive, most every day. For me, that thing, I'm 68, so this thing has happened for me 49,640 times. And you might say, well, well, what is this particular times? I've done it that many times, and I will do it a lot more times as long as God gives me breath. I'll do this. And you say, what is this? Here's what this is. It's sleeping. It's sleeping. We all go to bed. Some people don't sleep real well. They have trouble doing this. Other people do it easily. Other people take drugs, like some people in my family I will not name, to help them sleep better because they're in different beds than they're used to. And you know what that's like. You're used to your bed and your pillow, and you get at a hotel or something like this. You're saying, this just doesn't, doesn't feel right. You know, for me, I can't sleep in this thing. And so sometimes it's hard for you to do it. But everything is, the good thing that happens if we all go to sleep is, thank goodness, after about eight hours, or for some of you, 9, 10, 11, or 12, uh, generally you all wake up. If you don't, <laughs> you're going to be sleeping in a grave for a long, long time because you never woke up. But we all wake up. And when we wake up, we all look forward to having this. Say this with me out loud. It's a what? Brand new day. Yes. And so we look forward to a new day. And we do that all of our lives. Now, were anybody in here, was anybody in here raised on a farm? You grew up on a farm or real close to a farm? Let me see. Okay. I appreciate all eight of you that were raised on a farm. Not many. How many of you were not raised on a farm, but you were raised in an urban environment? Let me see your hands. Yay, urban environments. Some of you didn't raise either hand. Where were you raised? 
You weren't raised in a city, and you weren't raised in the country or a farm. Where were you raised? So, but most of us here are probably raised in a city, subdivision, houses, and something like that. Now, if, if that's just true, if you were raised there, which most of us are, you will go through, most likely, you can, your entire life. You can go through your entire life without ever having seen a real live shepherd. You can. I, I grew up in an urban environment. I never saw one until I got older. And I traveled, traveled to Israel, and I saw some for the very first time in my life. Or I saw representations of them in little manger scenes. And they always looked like real old dudes that had gray beards, and they could hardly even move and walk, you know, and they're standing there holding this little box of something to give Jesus. If, you, you remember that? Those little man- that? That's my first understanding of a shepherd is a little plaster piece of glass or something that was standing there giving this stuff to Jesus. And that was the shepherd. But I didn't ever see a real shepherd. And so when David wrote this Psalm 23, and he made the statement, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. It was an image that every Jewish person could easily relate to because sheep in the Holy Land and shepherds in the Holy Land are everywhere. You can see them in spades if you go over there, dotting the countryside. Now, throughout the early history of Israel, the first shepherd ever mentioned in the Bible was Abel. The two firstborn sons, Cain and Abel. He was a shepherd, okay? And so famous shepherds, here's a few of them. Is it, can y'all read that in the back okay? You can see it? Good. Okay, good. Here's some of the most famous shepherds in the Bible. There's Abel, then Abraham was a fa- famous sh- a shepherd. His sons, Isaac and Jacob were. Moses was when he was put out the pasture literally for a few years before he was called to, ch- to lead his people. And then David was a shepherd, and of course, Father God is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. And so these are some things. Now, it's an interesting thing that God compares himself to a shepherd, and he also compares us to sheep, which is anything but complimentary. Because they're not the smartest animals. You don't go to a circus and say, hey, here come the trained sheep. Hey, hey, watch them jump over hoops. No, no, they don't, they're not trained to do nothing. You can't train them. They'd have a mind, they wander off if they, don't, if they get out of the crowd and stuff. They're kind of nasty. They don't brush their teeth or anything. The breath is like, and they're really not a complimentary animal, but God says, you're my sheep. Thanks, God. Couldn't you have chosen something else to talk about me and everyone? But that's true. Now, by the time we get to the New Testament, shepherding had lost its luster. All these famous shepherds, you know, these great patriarchs of the faith, those weren't the guys that were shepherds anymore. It didn't happen like that. They now made up the lowest class of people, listen to this, coming ahead slightly than that of lepers. So the worst case was lepers whom you couldn't be around or else you might get the leprosy, shepherds right above it. They weren't looked on very kindly. In the Talmud, which is basically a collection of interpretations and insights from Jewish rabbis, we read these words, no help is to be given to any heathen people or shepherds. So if you saw one hurting, you didn't have to help them. You shouldn't help them because they're worthless. They're the least of the least of the least of the least. And that's how they were looked upon. 
When I was in Israel in 2012, I've been several times, three, four times. I went more recently than this, but back in 2012, I went with a guy named Ray Vanderlaan. Has anybody ever heard of Ray Vanderlaan? Let me see your hands. Okay. He lives in Michigan, doesn't he? He's a, isn't that right? He's a Christian school teacher somewhere in Michigan at a Christian school, and uh, he takes all this senior class always to Israel. He was on Focus on the Families, did a video series 25 years ago called That the World May Know. And he goes over and he taught, and they filmed him there in all these different places in Israel. He's one of the most knowledgeable guides in the entire universe about Israel. And I had the privilege to go with him in 2012. He had a trip breakdown and not able to go. He contacted some pastors in our city and put together a little group of us. And before you know it, we're on this trip to Israel with RVL, we called him, Ray Vanderlaan. And this guy talks like he's drinking water out of a fire hose. You know, when you're listening to him, he's just like, you can't write it down or remember it even fast enough of all the things he teaches and says. But we had a great time when we were there. But here's what we saw. We saw the people that were the shepherds today in Israel. And here's what they look like. They were little girls and little, little boys. They were doing this. Ages 10 to 15, basically, were the shepherds. And so we saw these kids out there doing this. And uh, maybe my mental picture of a shepherd with an old guy with a long gray beard was all wrong. I don't see anybody's nativity scene having little children bringing gifts to Jesus you know, dressed up in a little robe or something. That, that, that's not the image we have. We have the image of the older guys. But it was probably people like that in the time when Jesus was born, which was different to me. I had never known this before. So when I saw these shepherds doing this, you know, I'm here thinking, what in the world is going on? Who are, who are these people here? And it reminds me about this. In Psalm 23, where the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I like nothing, and then I want you to read this next phrase with me and that have underlined. Here we go, out loud. Read it with me. Ready? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Stop right there. I'm going to focus on that little phrase. He makes us lie down in green pastures. Now, what do you think of when you hear that verse is a green pasture? Here's what I thought. Here's what I always thought about growing up. I thought it was something like this. It was this beautiful, verdant field of flowing, waving grasses and vegetation and beauty. And shepherd would go out there, and the angel choir would sing, and and all of a sudden, you'd be out there with the sheep. They'd just get fat and full and dumb and happy, just eating as much as they could stuff in their faces. That's the picture I had. That ain't the picture David was talking about. This is what... Ray Vanderlaan taught us. I didn't know this before. You say, what, what would it look, have looked like when David was there? Well, it would have looked something like that. Welcome to green pastures. You can't see it probably because you're way back, but there's a little tiny shepherd on a horse sitting on top of that little mound, and there's a, that's a whole flock of sheep and goats that are standing on the side of what is called the Negev, which is kind of an arid desert region of Israel. And this shepherd has got his sheep out there, which is kind of strange to me. So what in the world is is happening here in this situation? This is the desert landscape, rugged hillsides, little moisture here whatsoever. It accumulates around the rocks, however, and it seeps underneath, and it results in an occasional green sprout that looks like this. And so when David was saying, he leads you beside green 
pastures. That's what he was talking about. And you go, ah, that didn't look real appealing to me. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? That's that one sprout of grass right there. And that's enough for that sheep to eat or that goat to eat as they go along. And the next time he saw sheep and goat out there grazing, it looked like to RVL that they were eating rocks. From the bus where we were, it looked like they were just eating rocks, but they weren't. They were digging down under the rocks and finding a little sprig of grass, just a little tuft of something to put their heads down, move some rocks around, and take into their systems and digest. And that was what was called a green pasture. Fascinating. The shepherd leads, and she would lead with her voice, walking in front along a hillside with these little tiny things, every little mouthful. In about 10 to 30 minutes, if they walk along further, they'll find another little mouthful. And even if there's not another little mouthful, you know, what they, you know what's true about this, the situation? The sheep always know where the shepherd is. And the shepherd always knows where the sheep are. So if that's a picture of us, the good news is God always sees you. He knows you. He knows what you need. And he cares for you. And even when you think, that's all I got, he still knows you in that situation. So when I saw that, then here's what we learned from this. And here's what RVL taught us, which I thought was fabulous. Here's what it was. Ray Vanderlein taught us this about that lesson. He said this, God is the God of just enough for today. And that's the lesson of the shepherd, and that's the lesson of Psalm 23. God is the God of just enough for today. That's RVL teaching my group. And so he would stand on the mountains. We would hike mountains. I was a little older. I was older than most of the people on our trip were young. We hiked about 112 miles over like eight days in Israel, up mountain cliffs. I mean, the Pribbles know this. I thought Israel had a little bit of a mountain area, and then it's the Sea of Galilee, and it's more verdant and but really, all over Israel, there's mountains in there. There's, there's hills everywhere that you go. And I thought after we finished hiking all these mountains in the desert, that we'd finally get into some more level ground. We got into the level ground. He said, now we're going up that mountain. I'm thinking, oh, man, up the mountain we go. I was saved several times from falling and killing myself with a walking stick. When I was kind of going down the hill, about to slide off the cliff and pressing that thing into the ground so I didn't keep going. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life as far as a hike. Difficult. But I learned a lot from him. This lesson just meant so much to me because here's what he says. Today is a brand new day, and it's for all of us here at Gull Lake, and it's a gift that he gives us, and what will you do with it today? You can spend your time here not being involved, not caring about what's happening around here, you can spend your time worrying about what you've got to do when you get home, looking back in the rearview mirror at what's gone on in your life and focusing on the past, moaning and groaning over the cards maybe you were dealt in your life and there's things swirling around in your life that you don't want anybody in this room to know. Every person has a story and all the stories aren't comfortable and beautiful and precious and wonderful. Stories in this room, if we really knew the truth, are filled with pain and heartbreak and disappointment and loss and other things that some of you guys have gone through. But yet you're, here you are, you're, you're pressing on and you're here and you're at a place where you can hopefully spend time with God and hear his word and, 
leave this place with some new things you've learned that will help you make it through the rest of your life. But as you make it through the rest of your life, it's going to be a day-by-day experience. And you have to focus on the day that you are in right now. And be grateful for it. Be thankful for it. Live it to the max and learn from it. Everything you can about every day that we live and move on this beautiful planet. What an amazingly gorgeous place this is. We can stare at this beautiful lake and see the beauty that's here. And it's just an amazing place to be here. Or, well, you just miss today altogether because you're worried about what tomorrow might bring, about the future out there. And I know some planning ahead, of course, is important and prudent and wise, but you can't dwell there and miss today. I can't spend my time looking in the rearview mirror. I can't spend my time always worrying about the future. If I do, I'll be a mess either way. I've got to focus on just the nay. God, I need just enough from you today. Years ago, I was leading a local church ministry, and some of the elders asked me this question one time. They said, we'd like you to develop a five- and a ten-year plan for our church ministry. I almost went into shock trying to think, what in the world am I going to tell these guys the next time we meet? A five-year plan, a ten-year plan, I'm glad Jesus didn't have a 10-year plan. He only lived three years of a public ministry. Seven years, the 10-year plan wouldn't have worked for him. So I started thinking about, hmm, I looked in the life of Jesus and tried to figure out his plan. <laughs> it was not, there was no plan. It, he's over here, and then he's over here. And he said, I think we ought to go over there. And the guys walk over here. Have y'all seen The Chosen? Anybody seen The Chosen on television? Okay. okay. How many have not seen The Chosen on television? You need to see this. It's a modern version of a video filming series about what it might have been like to be in Jesus and his disciples during the days of his ministry. And it's well done. It, it makes my wife and I ask questions and talk about it with friends and stuff about, did you see this character and what he had? It's very fascinating. I, I really think it's something you ought to consider watching. But man, these disciples that are following him, they're going there, they're going here, they're staying here, they're saying, should we move on? I don't know, I think so. And then they go over here, and and so it just seems like there was no rhyme or reason. There wasn't like a, like if you go on a vacation, we went to a national park in Utah trip, Becky and I did a few years ago. We looked at the national parks, and we went to this one, then we went to Arches, then we came down to Zion, and we went under Bryce, and we came back to Canyonlands. We had it figured out. It's a, it's a plan. We didn't get to Utah and say, what are we going to do? Where are these places? We, we didn't do that at all. We had maps. We had it figured out. We made the trip work. That's not how Jesus seemed to do his ministry. The disciples said, wherever he leads, that's where I'm going. And off they'd go here, stay a while here, no, not stay long there. Yeah, I love the story where he says, we, I, I got to go through Samaria. That probably caused those guys to about have a heart attack. The Samaritans, they hated Judea was in the north, I mean, Galilee was in the north, Samaria was in the middle, and, and down here you had, uh, what was down here? Galilee was down here. So you had, you had these three different regions, and he says, we're going to go to Galilee, but we're going to go right through Samaria. The reason he went through Samaria was to meet a woman at the well in John chapter 4. And the whole city became believers in Jesus because of that decision he made to go through Samaria. He knew that full well. Disciples had no idea. Let's go to Samaria. We don't want to go to Samaria. You say, who were the Samaritans? Back when Assyria conquered Israel, they intermarried with Jewish women, and that half-breed race that was born was called Samaritan. 
So the background was their forefathers were warriors that captured the Jewish people. That's why they hated them. Jesus said, we're going into the middle of Samaria. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to go there. But that's where he took them. Oh, so you see this going on? So I thought about this five-year plan. I came back to the guys and said, honestly, guys, I don't think I can do this. I said, I'm not real sure. Um, I can give you a five-week plan. I'm pretty good about planning four or five weeks out. I do not know what I'm going to be doing three years, five years, ten years from now. And if I'd have made the plan and looked back on what actually happened, it would have been nothing like what I wrote. Nothing. Why? God is the God of just enough for today. We have to be willing to accept that and then go where he leads. If there's a situation I can go and spend some time and I feel the leading of God, he might take some time and spend time here. Might be over here next time. That's okay. And that's what I'm trying to teach you and show you today. You can't deal with next year's problem on today's pasture. Can you handle what life will throw at you the next week or the next month? You don't know. But whatever it is to come, God will give you just enough for that day that you need. I have Family members have gone through very traumatic situations of loss and heartbreak and pain and disappointment, and they're all here today. Two-thirds of them are here today, and God gave them exactly what they needed during that time period to get them through it to the next situation of where they were individually and with their family. So remember that God is the God of just enough for today. And you're always, and here's the good news, having him as your good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. So you can trust him whatever you do. So how do you finish well your life? How do you leave a legacy? How do you do this? You do it by taking full advantage of every brand new day as long as God gives me breath and life. Chuck Swindoll said this. I thought it was great. The problem of life is that it's so dadgum daily. And I thought, hmm, daily what? Daily routines, daily habits you form, going to work, play, rest, to-do lists, divine setups. I love divine setups. See, what is that? I asked the Lord in the morning if he wants me to have a divine setup. I want to be available to sense it and see it. This is somebody that you might meet that you never intended to know about or meet that maybe a conversation can happen and you can bless them, help them, lead them to Christ, pray for them, something like that. That happens in my store all the time, my appliance store. I never know who's going to walk through those doors that I might have a chance to meet and pray for and have a conversation and get to know. And before you know it, I've given them my business card. Now we're exchanging emails and we're having lunch together and talking and becoming new relationships for them. I, I don't know who's coming next and in my divine appointments. But boy, I love them when I sense God in the middle of a situation with me. Now, as I begin to see the scripture and read about it, I searched for a concordance, the word daily, and to see how much it's listed. And of course, now I thought back about the children of Israel. When they were in the desert for 40 years, how did God take care of them? By giving them what? Manna. What was it? The name means, what is it? That's what it means. What is it? It was some bread-like substance, maybe had the taste of honey or some sweetener, and dough-like, I don't know. 
but he gave them this. But if they said, you know what? We're going to get a bunch of it and put it in the refrigerator. Well, they didn't have that. We're going to put it in the cooler. Well, they didn't have that either. Well, let's see if we can store it up and have a little bit of it to last us for the weekend. What would happen to it? It would rot. They had to go out every day and get what? New manna. You know that little devotional book? I think there's one in our room. Well, it says, Our Monthly Bread. Our five-year plan reading bread. No. What's it called? Our daily bread. Fine. It's daily. Here's some of the scriptures I found. Psalm 86, 3, 88, 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I call to you all the day long. I call to you, Lord, every day. How often? Every day. I do this in the morning when I wake up. When I wake up in the morning, here's what I say. I said it this morning. This morning, I, I woke up before Becky. She's laying in bed sleeping, and I just put my hands up like this, and in my mind, I didn't say it out loud. I didn't wake her up, but I said that. I say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Father God. Good morning, Jesus. I surrender my life to you today for your agenda. If it looks like I'm planning, great. If it's not what I plan, great. You're God, I'm not. I'm a steward of who I am, what I have, what I do. So today, I want to be a good one. I can't do that without your help. So I rely upon you. Then I lay there and put headphones on and listen to a bunch of praise music. Just pump me up. Great singing, great songs. And that helps me. Psalm 145 says, Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. One of the things that's troubling to me, I see it, is when people are sitting in a church service and people are singing and other people are simply doing this. Musicians are playing. They say, let's all sing, and yet people are doing this. I don't know why. That verse is, every day I'll praise you, and I'll extol your name. What are you praising? Are you singing in your head, maybe? Just humming the words? Don't like to open your lips? See, I'm not a good singer. God's not interested in what you sound like. He's just interested in our hearts. The Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Just open your mouth and try. Words are on the screen. Just try to figure that melody out and jump right in there. Am I a great singer? No. My wife is a great singer? Well, absolutely not. I have, my son is. My daughter is. My son Adam plays guitar and sings, leads worship. I mean, these guys got, you know, gifts I don't have. Boy, I'll lift my voice and try the best I can. I think we all should. And so that's, to me, important. Fill your mouth and your heart with music like this. There's a group of people in the Scripture called the Bereans. Here's what is said in Acts 17 about these guys, that they would read the Scriptures, and I make it bigger so you can see it in the back, where it says they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. How much did they read God's Word? When did they read it? Every what? Every day. They would check out. The Apostle Paul would preach. They'd go back and read the Scripture and see what he's saying is true. Now, here's what I tell people in my church. When you come and hear me teach, don't check your brains at the door. 
and say, he's the man of God, but he's the one they asked to come. He must have all the truth. I'm just going to listen and suck it all in and believe everything he said. Don't do that with me. Don't do that with any other teacher. Don't check your brain at the door. You say, you mean you might say something that's not exactly accurate? Yeah. I might. I heard Leonard Sweet. Anybody know who's Leonard Sweet? Ever heard of Leonard Sweet? Anybody ever heard of him? Not many of you? He's a great writer. He's a Christian thinker, kind of a philosopher. He came to Furman University once, and I went out to hear him give a lecture on teaching and preaching. He said something I never forgot. I'm going to tell it to you. Here's what he said. And I'll, I'll say it first person like it's from me, but Leonard taught it to me. Here's what it is. When I'm teaching you, about 80% of what I'm saying is probably really perfectly true and accurate. About 20% eh, may not have explained that the best, and it's not, not as clear. He said, but I don't know which is my 80 and which is my 20. I'm giving you 100. You got to take the 90 and leave the 10. Or with me, it's the 99 and leave the 1. No, I, maybe with me, it's 50 and leave the 50. I don't know. But whatever it is, you got to process this in your own head and don't check your brain at the door. Think about it. Is that true what he's saying? Is that scriptural what he's saying? If that's true, ingest it. If it's not, pick out the bones, throw it away. Take the meat. The meat is the word of God I'm putting on the screens. We know that's the deal for sure. This means getting into the Bible daily. I need this. And here I can say this. I've read this stuff so many times, I can just coast in neutral reading the Bible. I get to a familiar passage like a Psalm 23 and say, well, I know what that is. I'll just skip down to Psalm 24. I don't know that as well as this one. But I started thinking, wait a minute. Ponder each phrase in that verse and read that slowly and because here's what I found. Even though I read the Bible many times in my life as a pastor of teacher, every time I read it, you know what happens? I find something fresh. I find something new. I find a new insight I never heard before or thought about. Or someone teaches me something, I check back in the Bible to see if that's accurate. And I learn things that change my thinking and mold me all time. But I do it daily. Now, why do you think the Apostle Paul said this? I die How often did he say, I die daily? He said, take up his cross. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross when he comes to believe in me. No, no, no. Daily and follow me. Every day, it's a new day of renewing your faith, renewing your commitment, renewing your zeal and desire to please God and your words, thoughts, actions, deeds. Every day is fresh. Every day is new. You can't do it for tomorrow can't do it for what's gone past. You can do it simply for now and today. And so that's what's so amazing about that. And so always be willing to read it most of the time, every day, at least five days a week. Sometimes I've heard people say, try to read it Monday through Friday, take a break on a Saturday, and on Sunday go and hear it exclaimed in a church service on a Sunday and do it again five out of seven days. That's a simple formula if you want to try that. You want to try to read it seven days a week? Great. But you can at least get what you need on a daily basis with some particular plan and doing it that way. Now, why is this important to die daily? Here's why. Because we have a new spirit. When you become a believer, my dead spirit comes alive. So now I've got this spirit, the Holy Spirit in my life, 
And I'm, there's a scripture verse that says, I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless unto the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now the spirit is what ought to guide my life. And then my body, basically I'm going to talk about it, is, is my mind. It's what I believe and what I think. And what I believe and think is what then my body will respond and do. If my brain says and my, my thinking says it's time to eat, then my body will take food and then put it into my mouth. And so often what, how you become a mess in my life and your life as well is to not have that order always happening in the way. Spirit, control mind, control body. What happens is our flesh, our flesh is not yet saved. Do you know that? When you got saved, your spirit alive in you became alive in you, but your, your flesh is not saved. One day you'll get a new body, but it ain't saved yet. That's for sure. And my flesh wants to war against everything the spirit and my mind often say. So that's why the apostle Paul said, I put my, my, my flesh underneath. I put it under what? He says, I, I don't want to become a castaway. So what is he talking about? His body he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Things I don't want to do, I do. Things I do, I don't want to do. Uh, how can this body, the body he was struggling with, just like you do with your flesh. Your flesh has to be kept under control of the truths in your mind, what you think, under the control of the Spirit of God. And when that order's going well, everything's clicking and going well for your spiritual life. When it's not, it's when your body gets up here on top, pushes your spirit down. I want nothing to do with God. I'm doing this. And your flesh can be a mess. My flesh can be a mess. That's when you become selfish. You can try to Go away from the truth that God is teaching you. It's easy to have that happen. And finally, this last verse is true. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The body, the flesh will try to deceive you, but you encourage people on a daily basis. In our little family time with the bag devotion this morning, my son Adam was leading that with our kids and stuff. And one of the ways we came up with and said to encourage each other, when you're encouraging someone else, that means you're giving them the courage to live a certain way. Encourage a person, bless a person, help a person, give to a person. And that's something that we can do every day, which is also cool. Most every day, you're around other people, and the other people that you're around, friends, work, school, neighbors, strangers, means you have a choice to make. Am I going to bless them? Am I going to encourage them? Or am I going to clam up? Am I going to ignore them? Or am I going to speak badly about them to their face or to somebody else? Can I do that? Or can I honor them and can I bless them? I got to remember that I'm a steward of every new day I live. Either a good steward or one that's not so hot. If God owns it all, then guess what else he owns? He owns your day. It's his day. Lived out through your life. And so I got to remember that. I want to honor him. And I want to please him with all my being. So say this with me out loud. We're going to say this. Live for today. Life is daily, daily, daily. Ready? Live for today. Life is daily, daily, daily. And remember that. I'm focusing on this week, this camp, people I can meet, new people I can meet, family I can deepen relationships with, opening my heart to learning from God, whatever he wants to teach me while I'm here. And that's what I'm willing to do, and that's what I want to do today. I went to Arizona with my pastor friend, Chad, who was the pastor of the church that I started. 
And later on, he became the new pastor of this church. And I took him to play golf with me in Sedona, Arizona. That's a pretty nice-looking golf course, you have to admit, if you're a golfer. That's the 13th hole. Absolutely stunning. You see these red rock formations around this beautiful golf course just carved right out there. And when he was out there, we had a lot of cool conversations. We talked a lot about the pressures and problems of leading a church. We talked about the things I do well, the things I messed up. When I was the pastor, tried to encourage this young pastor along the way. And here's what he said to me. He said this. He said, Steve, it seems to me when I worry about anything regarding the church, I can become paralyzed with the fear of the unknown of what's going to happen. We're going to have enough money to pay the bills, to pay the staff. We're going to have enough staff to work with children's ministry. How many of your churches have a way over abundance of people wanting to work in children's ministry? So many, you can't even, you, they can't even serve. You have so many volunteers. Would you please raise your hand and tell us how you did this? Every church I've been in, we're asking for people to work with their children. The pastor, you, you worry about this. And we talked about issues like that. He said, but I've learned this. Being out here, I haven't thought about any of that. I'm just focusing on having a good time with you, things we can do together. We're eating and we're having playing golf and we're just having a wonderful time of fellowship. He said, I'm focusing on that. I don't even think about, I'm not even thinking about that because I'm doing it right in the moment of right where I am. And I thought, that's a pretty good question. The great word was, don't worry. Matthew 6, 34 says, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? It also says there's just enough challenges you need to worry about for today. Things I got to work on now. I don't have to worry about that because there's enough on my plate for today. And that's what we've talked about out there. Life is so daily, daily, daily. I've heard this said, and I don't believe this, but here's what I've heard people say. Listen carefully. God won't give you more than you can handle. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Let me see your hands. You've heard that expression? Okay. I don't believe that at all. You know why I don't believe that at all? How many of you have experienced some kind of pain over the last year? Some pain. Some loss. Raise your hand if you had a loss. How about a disappointment? Anybody had a disappointment? Some of you didn't have any disappointment? Wow. I would love to talk to you. What are you doing? A death in the family. How about death in the family? Okay. There's all kinds of things that just put incredible pressures on us that are hard. God gives us things we can't handle by ourselves. That's the word that's not done right in that expression. Here's a better way to word that. God won't give you more than he can handle for you and with you. In other words, if you don't bring him alongside your situation, you can't do it by yourself. But when you got him coming along, yes, you can. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So when the pressures come in waves, when life seems to be spinning out of control, when the pain is so crushing you can hardly breathe, remember this. The foundation of all of this is that God is good, and he's good when? All the time. Pretend like that's the foundation of your life. Well, then no matter what circumstances or situations are happening here that can crumble and mess up, it always stops at the foundation, which is what? God is what? Good, and he's good how much? All the time. That's my foundation. And then I can build back the situations. I can fix the relationship. We can have a new structure going up here. God is good all the time. We're going to end, and we're going to show, I'm going to end with a song uh, that my son sings that he wrote that I just think so expresses this. 
that I want you to just kind of soak in the words of this song that Aaron did called The Goodness of the Lord. So we'll do that, and then I'll pray for you, and then we'll have the Pribbles come up and share some stuff with us about some of their mission work. Let's watch this song. Yeah. 
Just open your hands. I'll pray a blessing over you. Father, for every open hand, I pray that we would realize the goodness of the Lord never fails us. It overwhelms us, and it's always true. Make that the bedrock of our lives. And then so we can live daily upon that bedrock, whatever comes. Sometimes good days, sometimes bad days, sometimes tough But help us to be able to endure that because the bedrock never changes that you are good. Help us to live this day for you and your glory. In the name of Jesus, we say for our wonderful friends here at Gullick. Amen.